Hello and welcome to the DJ Force 10 in conversation podcast episode 170. Uh, my special guest on today's show is none other than Carl Middleton of Earth Tone 9. Um, yeah, what can I say about this band? They were huge for me when I was younger. Um, I was an active street teamer for them. I I actively promoted this band, and I'm doing it now. They're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Arc Tangent, which was one of their sort of pinnacle albums. Um, they've got four albums, a couple of EPs, stuff like that out there. Go and check them out. Go listen to Arc Tangent. I can't employ enough to do this. Go, go on to the streaming sites. You know the ones. Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, uh, Tidal, YouTube, all those kind of sites. They all have it on there. Go and listen to Arc Tangent. It is, it is a festival of the same name, by the way, um, for those that are in the know. Um, and they were due to play it this year and play this album in its entirety. But now... Obviously, they can't do that with the COVID and everything. They are releasing Arctangent, re-releasing Arctangent as a 20th anniversary vinyl special. It's a double vinyl. Uh, it also includes the Omega EP as well, which they released just before they kind of um, split or went into hiatus. Uh, but they came back uh, with a fun GoFundMe campaign and they released another album and an EP or reverse that an ep than an album and um and they toured with pitch shifter a couple of years ago when i was up in that nottingham show um which is fantastic and it was great seeing them again and over the years we've like become friends and, and we've worked together and all that kind of stuff acquaintances whatever you want to call it and this in this conversation i should say was absolutely brilliant i absolutely loved it it was just one of my like it's kind of a full circle thing for me i believe at this point um with with like the likes of one minute silence pit shifter and all that these were all bands that i promoted back in the day um this was like street teaming is is going out flyering giving out promo cassettes promo cds stickers badges uh lanyards um to people waiting in line at gigs like metal shows and stuff like that and chatting to people about these bands because um, you don't know people may not have heard of them you give them a cd back then you give them a cd and they're like wow a cd and then they go home they listen to it and they love it and they buy the album stuff like that uh or cassette tape if you will and like that that promotion that side of it and now i'm kind of coming back full circle and chatting to them about that time and what they're doing now as well uh that's kind of encompassed all these 20th anniversary chats i've had with with a lot of these bands that were the sort of like my bands for the day if you will of the day sorry i should say and uh yeah no i just i just thank you for listening guys i really love it um the feedback i'm getting is amazing um some people not even old enough to have remembered the band first time around are going and checking them out like one minute silence got a great bunch of people just go and checking them out and like oh wow it's like you know british rage against the machine one of them said and i was like yeah but it's like british it's like home it's it's we were toe-to-toe with these bands at that point we were we were making quality music not that we're not doing that now we are making quality music now but at that point there was a lot of um sort of like corporate roll-ins from 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 the states coming over and and playing huge venues and stuff like that but the music the sound the the sort of like what we had the organicness of what we had uh was massive at the time and 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 it's it's absolutely brilliant to speak to these bands that that were part of it and and i was a fan at that point it was me being in a band uh later on i did cover an earth tone nine song with with my band uh we covered vitriolic hsf and um 
we released our first album on a sister label of Copro, which is where Earth Tone Nine were homed. And 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 you know, it's this whole big circle of, of music people that have kind of come round and, and how we've helped each other over the years and how we're still in contact as well. And being in contact with Carl over the years has been great. Just sort of like he went over to the States as well. Um, kind of the sort of same path I did. I went over to the States for a bit. He went over to the States in different areas. He was over in Detroit. I was over in Florida. And then we're both back, you know, and, and we're sort of like just sort of like having that experience and and how music has helped us get out there and 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 all that kind of good stuff you'll hear about this in the interview and whatnot and the conversation and i should stop calling it an interview it was just a plain conversation because literally you join us mid-conversation in this one um because we were chatting for a good sort of like i think it was about two and a half hours three hours in total and i've had to cut it down to just the chunk about the band because we were talking about like our lives and what we've done and it, it was awesome i loved it and um yeah i hope you guys really enjoy it as well but what i want you to do if you haven't heard of earth tone 9 or haven't heard earth tone 9 what i want you to do is pause this right now and then i want you to go onto one of the streaming services and i want you to find earth tone 9 and their album arc tangent that's a-r-c-t-a-n-g-e-n-t three separate um words go the same the festival of the same name as well so in case you're wondering um but go and listen to that you won't believe that it's one 20 years old um and i'm hoping you will find it as enthralling as i did um and yeah um please go do that now they've got uh they are like i say releasing a vinyl copy of this album i don't know how many they've got left because only a limited run of 300 but i will be getting one i have pre-ordered it i managed to get a pre-order in and um it was the you know the shut up and take my money meme if you will it's for the kids out there um (laughs) it was one of those moments and uh yeah um i'm looking forward to hearing that and the omega ep as well on there um but please go go listen to it let me know let me know if you've listened to it um because i want to know your thoughts on it because back in the day i used to talk to people about it and used to get a lot of feedback you know if you don't like it i still want to hear from you about it i want to find out you know what what wasn't there for you um just purely out of interest but this was like it's i'm very passionate about this album um um and i just want to sort of like you know see if see if anyone who hasn't heard it out there um because it is one of those albums that i think deserves to be heard um by it by a lot of people into metal um british metal um and whatnot and uh yeah i'm rambling now because i'm kind of going off into the thing but you join me and carl mid-conversation enjoy But no, seeing you guys actually uh, a couple of years back, um, we I'm, I got tickets for the Nottingham show with Pitch Shifter. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. No, it was, just, it was just really cool seeing you and in the blueprint as well as F Ten Nine and doing that. Um, and that was a fun night because I brought my uh, my stepdaughter with me, who was just let's say fifteen, I think she was then. Okay. And she absolutely loved it. It's the first time, obviously, she's seen you guys. She'd heard us like talk about you and had music on and whatnot, but she really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I can quite often like hear her playing your songs in her room. So, oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. 
she's got a nice little fan there so she's uh great she's now 17 going to looking to go to university in a different country that's crazy wow <laughs> absolutely crazy but um yeah um what i was gonna say the, i mean the sort of like it's pretty standard interview stuff really on this front um and then like we'll just continue going if that's all right we'll start talking yeah, absolutely. about we'll start talking about the band and whatnot but um yeah i mean 20 years um as of is it september isn't it yeah it is that's absolutely crazy from that album because you like i mean i can i can remember it because i was on your street team for one uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was giving out stickers and cds with boat like sampler tracks on it and all that kind of stuff back when i you know was younger and more agile and could go to shows that other than you know ones that were local to me i can go to like london constantly at that point and it was cheap enough for me to do so yeah. um, <laughs> um but yeah i mean how do you feel it being 20 now because i've kind of got like i mean the closest i've got at the moment was my band's album that came out in 2003 um funny enough through copro um and you know and that's that's just hitting the sort of like 17 mark how does it feel like that that because i remember how it felt when i when i saw the sort of 10 year i was like fuck 10 years um but yeah how's that feel for you it, i mean it feels um it's strange just because it's so much time yeah but the you know when when I listen to the material, it, you know, again, it, it feels like kind of a time capsule. It still feels quite fresh to me, but I guess I'm biased. But it, it feels like when, uh, you know, when I'm really concentrating and listening to the to the tunes that I, I get transported back to, you know, where were we living? What were we thinking? What were the what were the conversations we were happen- having? Um, what our ambitions were for that record? Mm. And so, it, you know, it's real like... Um, I think the phrase that people use for um, like tastes and smells is a Proustian rush, but it, it, it's like not, not, it's a sensory equivalent of that when I hear it. Yeah. All, all of those things that were going on in 2000 become really fresh in my mind. But I mean, it just, it's one of those things where just generally time passes so quickly and you're often unaware of it. And then it takes like, um, like a delineation, like an anniversary to just be like, wow where did 10 10 20 or 30 years go so this is it's it's all it's almost half my life yeah <laughs> that's quite i mean like i mean it's literally half my life to be honest and um, it's 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 crazy to think because i i i've had it like uh, over the re- like past couple of years obviously it's hit that mark because it's sort of around my um i'm mean, 40 now so obviously this hit around my 20s or on my 20s um and i've had a bunch of albums like i think when pitch shifter did their dot-com tour a couple of years ago which we mentioned prior to this um mm-hmm. that you guys were on i mean that album had just turned 20 yeah i'm like oh and then uh obviously this year you got your you guys album uh turned 20 we got um i think it's one minute silence buy now sell later um, probably i mean the white pony must have come out in 2000 yep yep you white know, pony as well and and it's just sort of like it, it's i mean it's sort of hitting on it, it's hitting me in the feels as the kids would say um yep. <laughs> uh, of that time because it does it does it tra- transports you back and um i was uh like ever since you guys um kind of like mentioned the the that we'll get onto it in a moment but the vinyl um i i pop pop that album on 
because uh, it's always been on kind of like random tracks here and there um along with sort of other stuff from your other two like previous albums um and it's it's just sort of like i just like listening through it and, and you're right you can sort of take yourself back where was i at that point what was i doing what was my you know you know but what was i doing at, at 20 and it does it, it was like a time machine and um and you're right with the like the production value on it and the songs themselves they do sound incredibly fresh still um and uh, and that that's just sort of a testament to the sort of like the the songwriting and obviously um uh and the the sort of like production ability that you you guys had at your disposal at that point as well yeah yeah i mean it was a massive step up to go and work with andy and um we were, I mean, we were approaching things differently at that point. Mm. Um, just because the the first record, particularly, it was like it was all about the spirit and the performance and and playing as much as possible, particularly instrumentally live. Mm. And um, you know that 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 had a ragged charm about it. Um, and then we were also very much thinking. I guess I guess the second record was a little more streamlined, but it was very much about taking apart and then using the power of repetition or, or um, subverting people's expectations. So doing things for half as long or twice as long as you would feel was natural just to fuck with people. Um, <laughs> and and that being part of the philosophy of, of those two bunches of songs, whereas mm. with, um, with Arc Tangent, we were just like, we wanted to be more direct um, and so it became a little bit more streamlined. Some of those more wayward noise rock elements that I think are more prevalent on low def than on than on off kilter. Um, apart from in some some of the midsections of some of the songs, they're, they're they're not really part of the equation anymore at that point. And so it just it lent itself to being it needed to sound brighter and sharper than the previous two records. And that was something that we we went in there with, with that in mind. And because we had a little bit more time as well, we did some pre-production with Andy so he could be familiar with the material beforehand. And mm. because we really, we respected him then and then, and we respect him now because he's gone on to become a really big deal in the metal production world. Um, we, we wanted his input to a greater extent than just, um, than just the sounds. We, yeah. we wanted him to contribute to the, the arrangements and some of the sonics as well. And, and that's why that record sounds really markedly different to the other two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a it is a definite step up from from the previous sort of like the previous two albums, production wise at least, and and songwriting as well. It is it, there are some very different elements in there from what you previously had. Um, so talking like going back to those first two albums, like mm-hmm. you, you released them, like you, you were quite. Um, consistent like you obviously i think you had the first one was a sort of more of a bunch of demos and stuff put together and stuff like that but you released that in 98 and then you released um the second one in 99 and then you hit us with arc tangent in 2000 yes like was that was that like did you have that planned out or was it just purely because you were being productive and you just wanted to keep the sort of like momentum growing and show or have that Um, kind of like step yeah, it was it was a few things. We just felt that um, I don't think we would have described it in this way at the time, but the, the 
the double-edged sword of being an indie band was was that you can be nimble but mm. also you don't have the resources that you have with a larger label so the idea of a touring cycle being two or three years long that that's only feasible if if you have um significant backing financially yes. and, yeah. and in terms of resources so as a as a um, as a kind of grassroots band your your primary means of reaching people is to to do new things because that mean that meant at that point when when there were fewer gatekeepers in the kind of pre-digital um pre-internet um paradigm mm. If you if you do new material, then people will want to speak to you. So it's that whole thing about staying busy, um, and it, it it was just abundantly clear to us that to do an album and then try and play shows in a fairly limited way for for like eighteen months, it just it kills the momentum that you achieve by putting out a record. So we were just like, well, given given the that sort of that songwriting spirit that I spoke to you about a, a little earlier, yeah. It, how, how how challenging is it to write 10 songs a year and, and release 10 songs a year? It's, it's just not. It's, you know, any anyone who's committed to doing music and getting better and being a functional band could do that if that was what they wanted to. Yeah. And, and as long as they weren't getting too precious about the material and knowing that there's no such thing as perfection and that your ideas about what is great and isn't change over time. So you have to know when, when the thing's done kind of thing. Yeah. So, it just, it just it felt quite natural to us, and it felt like a way to distinguish ourselves from other bands that were kind of trying to operate in in that received wisdom album paradigm. And we were just like, you know, damn, we're not Guns and Roses. <laughs> Let's get busy. Let's make music. Yeah. No, I mean that that's sort of like that's what struck me like back then as well because it was like you know you kind of expected you know like some people expect a new like gadget every year you know slightly upgraded whatever as we're talking about my, yeah. my job <laughs> just to put that sort of line in um but like like expecting an album a year um like just having that sort of like production obviously it's not i wouldn't say it's sustainable over sort of like maybe a sort of 10 year period um well it might be actually thinking about it now but was that was that sort of like after arc tangent was that your still your sort of like ethos if you will or is it you know, now we can kind of like, we can tour the shit out of this and, you know, you, you've got, you've got more momentum. You've got, cause I remember at the time there was a lot more sort of like magazine coverage and whatnot. Um, and, uh, you had, um, a video, uh, for Tatuamasi out as well. Um, yeah. which I don't think you had a videos before, did you? Before that one? No, that was the first, um, the first promo video we'd made yeah. for a song. And um, I've I've got the VHS of that somewhere, to be honest. Because like I said, VHS. I was, I, yeah, I was on that street team. I told you, and um, <laughs> some of the perks of that street team was a free VHS with that video on it. Wow, um, that's serious generosity on uh, that part. A signed promo CD as well, which I'm sure I've still got somewhere. <laughs> um, and, um, and stickers, lots. I love stickers, so lots and lots of stickers. Um, but yeah, no, it's just sort of like sort of with that, like obviously I knowing obviously what happened after that you sort of went a couple of years without releasing anything but was that sort of like just purely on the momentum side of things was that because you were getting offered these tours or these shows and um you know this sort of like the the given run if you will mm, i mean well i think it was 
it was our original intention to keep with that that sort of rapidity of work, but it it um it wasn't sustainable, as you just said. Mm. So um, what it, it we were most of us lived in the same house together. Then we were touring together. Then we were trying to write together, and so it was just it was um, doing a lot of things with the same people, which there's always like a, there's always a sell by date and a shelf life on that. You know what mm. I mean? Um, and then differences of opinion come up and then if they're not talked about in a productive way, they become toxic and problematic. And, you know, because we were in our early to mid twenties at the time, that was kind of like the age span. It, we, I just don't think we were mature enough to cope with the pressure that we'd put on ourselves and it, and it, um, it ended up fracturing, mm. but it was, I mean, we knew that because we had put more into the record in advance of it coming out, um, it felt like it, it could have a longer life. Yeah. But, but at the same time, our primary interest was always in, in writing music and releasing music. Um, you know, we, we liked playing, but we didn't like touring that much. And we realized that when we did some of the, the longer tours that we did that, um, there are some guys that are just made for the road because yeah. in some respects playing the same or a similar set night after night, it's, it's like acting. It's like a theatrical performance. Mm. Um, and you know, you're, some people are very good at making the acting piece look like it's authentic and natural, mm. but, but a lot of it is an act you deliver it night after night. Um, and we just found that we weren't those guys. And so at, at that point in time where the primary means of, of um, telling the world about yourself was to go and play in front of people, it, it just, it, that also burnt us out. And, and um, we weren't the sort of people that could go out for six or nine months and just do the same thing night after night and paint on the, the happy or the angry face and <laughs> do the do the same thing so yeah it we felt frustrated by that or at least some some people in the band did and and i you know i think we we ended up having to cancel a few tours just because we were on the borderline of breaking up and then it was like let's try and take some space yeah let's go back to writing music because that's what we all seem to care about but we brought lots of the baggage um that had happened previously into those writing sessions so they just didn't feel great and then you know the material that we wrote is omega and that just it feels like a breakup record to me when i listen to it now it just seems so tinged with like sadness and resignation yeah the songs are cool but they've <laughs> just got that melancholy about them yeah um there's there's like no rage in them no it's and, that it kind of like it did like at the time it was that kind of like I wouldn't say resignation, but it was that it had that sadness, that like you say, melancholy feel to it. That that other your other releases all had that, like you know, not to use a <laughs> one of the EPs name, High Point, if you will. Um, you know, where you where you hit that sort of like anger spot, or you hit that aggression spot, and then you sort of take it on a on a on a like you know a flight of melody or whatever. Um, and yeah no that 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 ep was um yeah definitely it was it was kind of like uh it was one of those sort of what's the word from from a fan's perspective it was kind of like that love letter to that time if you will um in as much as sort of like you know at that point you guys were splitting and it was you know you weren't you weren't out on the road so much 
if I remember rightly. Um, and being sort of part of the, the sort of like, uh, the internet group at that point, if you will, the forum, um, and whatnot. And you sort of, you know, you sort of got that vibe from it. And, uh, yeah, um, it's, uh, I don't know what else to say on that one. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely felt that on there, uh, on that, on that release. Um, and it was a, it was a sad moment when you guys decided to call it a day initially. So it was, um, it was one of those things. And, and I wanted to go to, I think it was one of the, fa- or the farewell show, uh, that you guys had. Um, but I couldn't make it cause I was actually playing a show that night myself. Um, <laughs> a good reason not to do that it was it was i remember the show as well it was a good show that we played so you know it was it was it had it it had a good it wasn't like i played in front of three people and their dog in a pub which you know um uk toilet venues are notoriously known for it can happen it It has been known (laughs) it has been known i can confirm Um, (laughs) um but yeah i mean at that point as well like um you know, when, when you guys were sort of like in the height of, of arc tangent, let's take it back uh, to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were out on the road. I know you had some sort of like lineup changes and stuff like that. Um, in as much as you brought Jamie in, um, yep. and I, I knew Jamie from his previous band breakneck, uh, it might've been one of his first bands and then he was a cubic space division, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. So if you can remember, what was the relationship there? What, how did you sort of like get him involved? He, um, I think we had played a few shows in Kent. Breakneck had been on the bill. Mm. He was, um, he was a really cool guy. He was a great guitar player. Um, he was a good singer. And we, um, when we had done some, we'd done some shows and David stepped in to help us out. Mm. And, and one of the things that we were thinking about with a, with Arc Tangent was that there was a lot more going on vocally and that it would be really valuable to possibly have three voices in the mix. Um, so that, that was part of the reason that, that we asked Jamie to come in. But uh, I think what we did rather unfairly or, rather, you know, slightly naively was he didn't have any previous experience of playing bass, but we were just like can you play bass? Do you want to play bass? <laughs> and, and he saw it as an opportunity. So said yes. And then in, in the sort of long run that didn't, didn't kind of work out at, at that time yeah. when, when he was um, in the studio tracking um, and he was just like, Oh, his, the, the instrument he's playing on isn't going to cut it for this record. And because he was left-handed, it was difficult to get, um, get a bass. Yeah for him to play on and be comfortable with. And, and so it was just, it was one of those things where it was quite accelerated in terms of the decision-making. And so he, he didn't play on the record. Then he did the tour immediately after we had recorded, but before the record came out. Yeah. And, and that was the first time that we'd stood on stage with him and, it, and we were in a tour. And then after the first, I don't know, handful of shows, it, it we just didn't feel like it was gelling with him on stage. Okay. Um, and, and sort of this, there was a fluidity here. So we'd made the decision for Jamie to come in kind of like before we'd done a significant run of shows with Dave. So we went away and did like a big, we did a, about seven weeks with kill to this. Yeah. And o- over that time 
we built a really great rapport with Dave. We saw that he was um, like a, a really accomplished performer on stage and was a and was a tight player. And so we, as we knew that the Dave bit was coming to an end for for Jamie to step in, we were already like, oh God, have we made the right decision? But I think it was just um, it was a symptom of you know trying to make trying to make smart professional decisions really rapidly without all of the facts in your 20s <laughs> yes yeah i've been there it's all right it's it's common ground um, yeah <laughs> especially when you're in a band we've done that oh we, we went through oh my god we went through so many drummers and other players as well bass player in fact went through a couple of those and it was it was it was a while till we found the right people so yeah um but yeah no I, i've totally been there on that one um but also I, like talking to guests and stuff on the album um sort of, take, sort of jumping back and forth here but it's all right um you had ishmael from liberty yeah. 37 on there um mm-hmm. on two tracks in fact um yeah uh, was it was prd chaos and yellow fever Yep. it was yep was it those two mm-hmm. i keep thinking walking day for some reason i don't know why but um <laughs> but i'm right on those that's excellent um how did that relationship sort of come in because obviously liberty 37 at the time they were kind of you know flying their own um their own flag if you will on that front again another yeah. sort of like solid um welsh band uh to come out of that area of the world uh seems to be quite a fertile like ground for a lot of bands that area um yeah. but yeah, yeah. How, how did that come about um, initially, one of, one of our first ever London shows, like proper London shows, was um, at the Bull and Gate in Kentish Town. It was it was put on by Organ, so Sean Worrell, mm-hmm. and um, the we played last, and we naively thought we were headlining. But the actual <laughs> headliners were were this band called Applecore that turned. I think they were called Applecore. They turned into Liberty Thirty Seven. Okay, so. This was their London show to celebrate them signing to, I think it was, they were being looked at by Music for Nations, but I think ultimately they went with Beggar's Banquet. Yeah. A bit hazy on the detail. And and so we, we met them then and we watched them and we were just like, wow, this is a killer band, you know, had had a sort of 90s alt-rock vibe. Yeah. I mean, it was the 90s then, now I think about it. It was. But, um, <laughs> so they were very much so a product of their time. vibe of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I mean, they, they were just, they were really great people. And um, so we kind of struck up a friendship with them. I think we did a few other shows. Um, but Owen and Ish really kind of hit it off. They did a side project Um wrote a few songs together. I can't remember if it came out, to be honest with you. They just did it for yeah. sort of personal enrichment for fun as a creative outlet. Yeah. And, you know, that continued for a couple of years. And then when we were recording or writing the material for, for Arc Tangent, Yellow Fever, just, it felt like the sort of material that would really suit Ishmael's voice. And it, and we had, we'd always, um, felt like we wanted to be a collective and bring people in who who served the material best rather than it just being this really rigid five people, you're the singer, you do the singing, the yeah. end of it kind of thing. And so it was, it was trying to um, walk it 
like we talked it in a way that we we hadn't done before because we'd never really brought guests in. Mm. And then and then with PRD Chaos, um, it was just a song that we had we had some a cool refrain and a great chorus and the um, the verse riff I think is either it's got a swingy vibe to it, so it's it's either three four or seven eight. Um, or maybe it's just in seven. And I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around it and come up with a cool melody. And I felt like it needed to be melodic because yeah. it was quite sparse. And we, um, we went into the studio and we actually did, um, yellow fever quite early on. And so just while Ish was here, he'd, he'd come down from Wales and we were just like, dude, listen to this. Have you got any ideas for it? What do you think about it? And he just, he put that thing down first take and we were like, Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Amazing. And, uh, you know, originally it was like, well, you know, maybe we can, we can modify it. We can change it. We can use that as a basis for it, but it was so perfect. We just left it as it was. So he, uh, he ended up guesting on two songs. Um, and that, that happened sort of quite organically and, and it was pretty spontaneous, the decision to keep it there as it was. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing because I, I I was obviously fully aware of Liberty Thirty Seven and and sort of being a, a reader of, of of organ and whatnot from back then, um, and actually being featured in it eventually, which was great. Uh, when you Very cool. to, when you used to be able to bribe your way into it, which was good. Uh, you have to send a weird <laughs> and wonderful like um, cat food was a was a top thing, wasn't it? For yeah, sure? it was like cat food, and I can't remember what we sent him, but it got us in there. So um, it definitely wasn't money. So that was all good. Um, um, but yeah, no organ was that's that's a shout that is because I've not heard. I've, I mean, I've, I I remember Sean. Um, we played shows for him as well in London um, with. Uh, I want to say Skin Lab. I think we played with. Okay. Again, you know, we were on kind of uh, what would normally be headliner spot, but um, we weren't headlining. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really cool. It was, um, yeah, no, like, like, oh God, I'm going to have to dig out. I think I've got some of those CDs that he used to release. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing that I remember about him is just he was supremely passionate about music. He yeah. He really gave a shit. And, yeah. um, and he loved to spread the word about bands that he cared about and then give them a platform to be able to reach a new audience. So he wasn't just being um, a commentator and a critic. He was actually you know, promoting. He was creating space for, for, for bands to connect with an audience. Which he was. Is, he was. It's quite a, quite a rare combination. And, you know, he had, he had really great taste and really good energy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. He was, um, I think it was the reason I got into Polkas, to be honest. Mm, um, yeah. Back then, and I, we actually played a show with IMI, which I think was Polkas after Polkas, or at least yes. it was the singer. I think I can't remember the details. It's very hazy from back then. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean he definitely he was one of those people that, um, yeah, like you say, he just he gave a shit about the music, you know. And if you were doing something that that, you know, he well, if you're doing anything, really shout about it. And he was always like, he was almost like what we call today a tastemaker. Um, yeah. Or influence. He'd probably hate this, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I don't think he would be down with being called either of those things. No. But, but you're, what you're saying is true. You know, people, he was one of those guys that did it with passion and conviction and, and had good taste and instinct. So he, yeah. people, um, people believed him and believed in him. Yeah. And would, and would um, listen to stuff that he vouched for. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I've got. To, I'm gonna to have to seek him out. See if he's still doing stuff. 
I mean, this, there, there is an organ magazine, I think it's called that, on, on Facebook. Okay. I don't know if it's still Sean doing it, but it, um, the writing style is very similar, and, and visually it looks like that okay. um, stuff that he had going on through the 90s. Yeah. I'll have to I'll have to look that up because that's that is a that is a definitely a, a a name from the past that I haven't connected yeah. with for a while. So yeah, definitely. So I'm sort of taking it back to uh, Arc Tangent because that's what we're here to talk about a little bit. Yeah. Um, I just got to ask you this question because I, I found this on one website, um, on Discogs, in fact, uh, about a credit for the album, like someone who worked on it that I had no idea that whether this is true or not. So I'm going to either put myself out there and go, wow, I did some research and it was great. Or it's just going to be, <laughs> nah, nah, nowhere near it. Um, but, uh, Giz Butt, guitarist, Jana Stark, uh, yeah. prodigy, etc. Um, mm-hmm. on Discogs has a credit for guitars on the album. Is that something you guys work with him? Like, did he come in and do some tracking or? He, he didn't play on the album, but, um, Giz and Shop. Um, I, do you know what? I can't remember what the details. I think Andy had just worked on the on a record with them. Yeah. And we were having an issue with some tones, and I, I think they lent us some of their equipment. Okay. So I think there we came up with some wordy thing like uh, co-conspirators in all terrorism, some shit like that. But, you know, basically they... <laughs> they helped us achieve the tones that we wanted to get on the record. Yeah. They didn't perform anything and they didn't write anything. Okay. Um, but their, the record wouldn't sound like it did without their generosity. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. I just wasn't sure. Cause I saw it. It's the only site that references it. As far mm. as, like I said, I'm sure probably the inlay may have something on it, but I was just like, yeah, is that something? Cause I, I've, I've spoken to gears on and off for years um just sort of in between like him doing obviously like his band stuff back you know back when and and now he's obviously he's got Janice Stark back together and all that kind of stuff and um yeah no I just never knew that that little obviously if it's just you know obviously gave you some sort of knowledge or you know like say tones um but yeah actually contributed in some way that's I think that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I wasn't there every day for the recording of the instrumental parts. Okay. So, I mean, it's within the realms of possibility that he might have been there and could have put something down, but I don't remember it. Okay. <laughs> that's fair enough i'm sure i mean I'm, I'm sure there's an official credits thing somewhere i don't know back then things were slightly like you know it was written down maybe yeah <laughs> but never documented <laughs> online or archived anywhere so no that's very cool. I, I, I mean that could have fallen flat on my face that could have just been one of those internet things where you look at it and someone edited wikipedia yeah it's, and, uh, it's not a hard no you're not fully incorrect but there's somewhere to look into um, it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I might actually ask him himself, see if he did anything, if he can remember back then. So, um, but you also had, uh, Gemma Seddon on there as well. Yeah. Um, she's, a um, sort of a session drummer. I, from what I gather, um, from back then, you're right. Yeah. She was, she was in a band whose name currently escapes me from, from Derby. And again, we, we played, the. Um, there's a pub, I think it's called the Vic or the Old Vic, that we used to play on every run of shows we did just because it was the next city across from where we were based. Yeah. And, and her band supported us a few times. I think her brother played guitar in the band, and she was just – she played like Dave Grohl. Oh. It was just like incredible, incredible energy and, and 
you know, like charismatic performance. And, um, and so when we were coming up with ideas for the record, it was like, oh yeah, it'd be really cool to have something instrumental. It'd be really, really good for it to be heavily rhythmic and to have a bunch of drummers on it. Yeah. And so she was, she was just one of the first names that sprang to mind. Cool. Yeah, because she went on, I think she, I can't remember what she, like I say, there was a name for a band that I cannot remember. <laughs> but I know she was, it was more recently as well. She played in stuff. Okay. And, um, yeah. So well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me because, I mean, she was, she, she was a teenager at the time. She was really young. Okay. And, and she, um, you know, maybe a bit rough around the edges, but just, she was a, she had great drumming instinct. Yeah. And so, um, it wouldn't surprise me if she's gone on to do other things. Yeah, no, that was it. Was Slaves from Gravity, Slaves to Gravity was the band. Okay. I think it was um, she was in that for a little bit, um, and that, that's sort of like where I remember like her name on that front. Um, but yeah, at the time it was like it, obviously it was a kind of like a I don't know if it was an unknown or not, or if I actually knew the band she was in, um, but I can't remember the name either. So. That sucks. Um, so <laughs> if she's listening, I'm sorry, Gemma. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, what's it like through, throughout the album as well? You kind of like, I mean, some this like with the first track, Tatuan Asi was the first one you hit us all with. Um, and that was, that's an absolutely, I mean, I'm going to say that it's a magnificent song to use that superbly. Thank you. Um, and uh, it was, it was sort of like, it was kind of like this is this is what we are now as well um because it kind of had like when it first hit us it had that kind of starts off you know nice and melodic and then suddenly it just sort of bang hits you um which and then it goes back to that melodic and then it hits you again and it's kind of uh, I'm trying to think of the words for it at the time it was just um i don't know it was one of those tracks i could have on repeat constantly and i probably did much to the annoyance of everyone around me um <laughs> um but you know you shot a video for that as well so obviously you guys felt that it was something that that you wanted to lead with um so what was the sort of like you know the sort of reasoning behind that was it because it was sort of more of a introduction to this album that you had behind it or was it just something um, you just suddenly thought well this song's just it's it's got like video and 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 like concentration track written all over it yeah, it was a, a few things i i think it was one of the first tracks that we wrote. It was one of those that came together sort of pretty naturally. Mm. And then when we included it on High Point, there we were getting like really a positive response from from press, just being like, "Oh, this is a massive step up for you guys." It's you know, it's got like a really big hook, something that could really be on radio. And it wasn't particularly that. That, that was exciting to us but just just the idea that we had something that was immediate that that would connect with people mm. as instantaneously as radio songs tend to was was appealing to us because it would enable us to reach more more people quickly yeah. and um and because all of that i think high point probably came out in march so pr five or six months before Art tangent came out yeah and so it just seemed to be gaining momentum on the back of that quite small in interim release. And by the time we, we got to Art Tangent, it just seemed to be a no brainer. Um, and th there wasn't, 
there wasn't really anything on the album that was that that combined all of the elements of what we do in in such an immediate way. Mm. Um, so you know the the moody down bit, the the sort of somewhat eastern um, mysterious sounding parts, and then the super aggressive bit, and then then an anthemic chorus. Yeah, you know those are if if you were gonna create a build my earth tone nine song those, those are the, those are the bits that you would have to consider um for it for it to sound authentic and you know there was other great material on on the album but yeah. it was either it was either too gnarly or it, it was um there was something controversial in there lyrically or you know or, or it was all the songs were really short almost like too short for radio like punk rock two minute songs kind yeah. of thing and so that that was just the one where like the Venn diagram of how do you choose a lead song <laughs> lined up over it and and there wasn't anything else that was in consideration I don't think. Okay. No that's cool. I mean for a song that's like I mean it's 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 about 5 five and a half minutes. Yeah, it's a bit on the long side. You know, and and for a radio track that's exceptionally long. Like, you know, I know there's a whole thing like if you've seen the the Queen film and they talk yeah. about you know having like all that kind of stuff so you know they kind of they got past it with uh bohemian rhapsody and whatnot but obviously in the uh, sort of like this day and age a lot of like it's a lot more pressure to have that sort of like three and a half minute sweet spot if you will mm-hmm. um yeah. so did you ever consider like doing a radio edit or anything like that for it or is it just like you're going to take it as it is and play it yeah i mean it it wasn't like we were being fuck you about it it, it just at that point for us, you know, it wasn't like we had a dedicated plugger to go and pitch it to radio. Mm. We didn't think that that was like a serious avenue for us to gain a lot of traction. Um, it was just that we we knew that we had a song that had a, a really good hook to it, it, kind of encapsulated what we were, and and it wasn't like eight or nine minutes long. So it was the it was the one that fitted the bill. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, if if our manager at the time had said that you you need to consider editing it, and and these are the reasons why we would have heard him and come and made a decision on it. Yeah, we wouldn't have just dismissed it because by that point, um, we were we were less interested in being like really contrarian, and it was just like what what's going to serve the band, what's going to help us reach the most people in in a way that feels um, authentic to who we are and what we're about, and. And that's why we had a record label and a, and a management team to help us navigate those waters because yeah. we were, you know, we were a band. We didn't have all of those experiences to draw upon to to make those kinds of kinds of decisions. Okay, no, I was just curious because, like I say, five and a half minutes is 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 long for even a even a um, a music video uh, bar anything tool release, uh, yeah, <laughs> or Metallica I mean, for that matter. You know, but, at, the, at the time we were just like, could Evil Crawling Eye do it? Could um, Star Damage for Beginners, you know, do it? But they yeah. were just they they were um, they were balls out songs and that didn't contain the sort of moody brooding element that we felt was. an important component of what we do yeah no i mean it's definitely like i say it does encapsulate everything that you guys are i feel um especially from like the sort of like the previous two releases as well um and then cut for like for me that song i mean on if i remember like high point as well actually um 
it was uh yeah it definitely was the track the track that kind of like led the way on that front and then obviously the rest of the album i mean i love um like the tracks with ishmael i really like both those prd and yellow fever um and uh what was the other one i read star damage that was a that's a fantastic track. In fact, the whole album, I love it. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be talking to you otherwise. Um, but yeah, it's just um, like now, twenty years on, you, you're looking at like um, looking at it from that far off. It's 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 like it has stood the kind of like it. it it's like it hasn't aged. Like it's or it has aged, as in, but not aged badly, if that makes sense. So yeah. you know, obviously, it has aged physically twenty years on, but. Um, <laughs> trying to get trying to get the words out here but it's uh you know you you, you, know i'm I'm trying i will (laughs) will the way um it will um it will come don't worry Uh, (laughs) but no just like thinking about it now 20 years on because like like for me 20 years it's a long time you know back then like i say it took us back and back then i wasn't married i hadn't even met my future wife at that point um i was i was like you know able to go to countless shows i mean i saw you guys I think I counted it at one point. It was. It must have been around the thirty mark uh, in various venues around the country, um, wow. which is ridiculous thinking about it. Uh, but um, like, you played the West End Centre in Aldershot mm-hmm. a fair few times. And you were on the bill. Uh, yeah, it was for a Blueprint show. Oh, was it? Yeah, that was a Blueprint show. Ah. Yeah, because it was you and and Mark Layden were there and everything and. Um, yeah, I was like, oh my god, that's the guy from Pit Shift. Oh my god, this guy from Town. Um, and that's where I got the vi- that's where I got the video from as well. Are you doing vitriolic with us? Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think we ever played with Earth Tone Nine. Ah, um, okay. Played with the Blueprint. Um, I think we played with Twin Zero. Um, I think that was in. I can't remember. It was, it's either Bournemouth or. I think Choff might have booked that. I think it was Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, you know, but Nether Earth Town 9, I don't think we even played a festival with you guys, if I can remember rightly. Um, but I managed to obviously see, like I say, West End, we, um, like as a band, made a trip down to the Joiners uh, to see you guys there play. Um, I remember most of these shows, like London, Astoria 2, Garage. Um, oh, shit. There was so many. There was just, there was a few. Even actually, at one point, we did a big meet-up with the, the Forum in Sheffield. I think you played a rock sound thing at Sheffield Uni. Um, and we all ended up sleeping on a student's floor in dorms. So <laughs> it's a very uncomfortable night. I remember, that's what I remember from it being very uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, no, just like, obviously from like the people I met through you guys, like friends-wise, I'm still keeping in contact with some of them um, over the years, uh, which is really cool. Um, so like 20 years on, this is, this is madness. Um, <laughs> But yeah. you guys are doing a, a vinyl reissue. We're finally getting onto this, um, which to me was music to my ears because I've always wanted something of yours on vinyl. Um, and I am a a, a vinyl. Um, I, I prefer that format to a lot of like the others. I do still obviously buy CDs. I subscribe to one of the music streaming services, um, but that's purely out of sort of more because uh, I still DJ rock clubs. I want to sort of stay in touch with a lot of what's going on on there as well, because uh, I don't get sent everything for promos and whatnot, which is a shame. But um, <laughs> to anyone listening out there that doesn't send me stuff. Um, but yeah, no, vinyl. So what was the sort of like, you know, was that was that uh, um, a long sort of like a plan that's been in the works for a while? Or was it just kind of how are we going to celebrate 20 years? 
obviously with COVID, a show you were going to do uh, on the Namesake Festival, Arc Tangent, um, you were actually going to play the album in its entirety. Was that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, this it, it's been releasing stuff on vinyl has been something that we've toyed around periodically just because um it's it's my preferred format but what we'd never got a handle on until quite recently was just how how many of our fans also like vinyl and will be willing to to pay for vinyl for earth tone nine vinyl yeah and then it it had been bubbling around for a while and then it it really became something that was more of a priority when we realized that the primary way we were going to celebrate arc tangent was was going to get pulled which was which was the festival appearance yeah um and then it's just you know it's morphed into a a cool in a way it's you know it's a less it's a more permanent um or more tangible celebration of it to to re-release it in a slightly different way because the um, the artwork that we had done at the time, the front cover was was something that we had to pull together quite last minute. So just this opportunity to reevaluate the uh, the visuals that were associated with the record, update them, um, and um, and also think about them because they're going to be on twelve inches of paper instead of four inches of paper. Yeah, um, just was a cool opportunity. Um, and it, you know, it just, if it went from being like a, ah, fuck, no festivals to, well, we could do the vinyl thing to this vinyl thing is going to be really cool. And it's (laughs) in lots of respects, more exciting. That's amazing. I've, I've always wanted myself. I've always wanted to release something on vinyl. Never had the opportunity. I'm working on it at the moment, but I've never had anything of my own done on that. Um, and it's a format that I absolutely adore because it's, it's just something that reminds me of my childhood of messing around with records that my, my dad had, or I had, or my brother had, cause he was a mm-hmm. mobile DJ. Um, so he had like seven inches and stuff everywhere. Oh, okay. Um, and obviously going through, obviously you know me from sort of doing sort of more DJ related stuff. You know, I've got a set of turntables right next to me now. And that's like, I bought like, you know, recent music that's come out. So Enter Shikari's new album, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've got like Korn's new one and all that kind of stuff. And I've even gone back, bought some Deftones and um, always sort of participate in record store day. So I always pick up at least one release of someone's. Yeah. Um, you know just of the new stuff but obviously i've got a whole bunch of stuff as well just stuff that i inherited from my dad um and you know like classic vinyl but it's just it's just a format i love like obviously the sort of what i do to vinyl is sort of very different i'll scratch it um (laughs) i don't do that with the classic albums don't worry um (laughs) but uh, as tempting as it is um but you know it's it's sort of like i just love that format and and like having you guys actually put something out because like i remember uh back when you did your um actually i was gonna ask you why that was part of this question anyway but when you did your crowdfunding album uh for number four um it 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 struck me that you didn't do vinyl then um you know in in sort of like as an option you know because you had like various obviously you know you get this get like a art print you get you know the usual sort of stuff for, from Kickstarter and stuff. Um, what stopped you doing the sort of? Obviously, I know you're using the pre-orders as sort of mainly the sort of like cash generation part of it. But what yeah. stopped you doing sort of a Kickstarter this time round? It was 
partially that um, our preferred platform had made some mistakes <laughs> and so it was okay. no longer a going concern. And so it it felt a little bit like that um, crowdfunding using an intermediary has, has got a bit of a bad reputation because that um, pledge folded and, and took a lot of money with it. And so it, it left bands without access to the funding they needed and fans deprived of of the material that they had kind of paid to get. Mm. And so um, we we were just trying to look for a way that was really simple um, and could be pretty transparent and um, wouldn't wouldn't be like a faff for lots of people. Yeah. Our, our experience with um, crowdfunding before was that at that point in 2013, quite a lot of our fan base weren't comfortable with the idea of paying for something on pre-order and then getting it um, a long way down the line. Yeah. And and also they, they wanted to kind of go and get it from a record store, uh, possibly to support a local independent or just because for convenience. Yeah. I'm not sure which. Um, but, you know, we're seven, eight years down the road now and um, you know, much more stuff's bought online. Yeah. Much more stuff is, is that that sort of. I feel like Patreon and those sort of helping creatives to continue their creative work yeah. um, platforms. That that model has become something that's much more in the public consciousness now. So maybe there's not not the skepticism about um, prepaying. Yeah, I think with some of them, like people obviously had things of of even the sort of like prepay thing, like the like i'm using the brand kickstarter is the main one here but uh there are obviously other formats or other platforms to do that on but some of them don't refund you if it doesn't reach its goal as well so i think mm. there's been a lot of like there's been a few where i think people have backed various things The the person who's obviously you know putting these pieces of art together or whatnot are you know they're getting what's kind of there but then they have to do another one to generate the more money or you know there's some of them where right. if it does fail then you get refunded like it doesn't reach yeah. that that amount so as long as the person you know is smart enough not to have put the money down straight off the bat <laughs> to say oh i'll definitely get it back on the kickstarter um on that front but yeah no you're right a lot more people are sort of like comfortable buying online um i think it's more you know people uh, i guess at that point weren't used to the sort of like a pre-order situation either they probably want to hear it before they before mm. they buy it yeah. and obviously now you can you can go onto spotify and and it's there um or any other streaming service yeah um <laughs> and i mean our other experience with crowdfunding was also that it was the the recommendations were that you have a like a suite or a menu of options and then at the point of fulfillment because we were doing it all ourselves it's yeah. it was enormously complicated it's like oh there are 10 people that have bought the album and a t-shirt and a poster and and whatever so it, it went from from shipping a single item to someone that wanted it to this entire range of things that was, it was uh, a little bit cumbersome on the back end. So yes. the, you know, just doing a record and people who want records buying the record. And then I placed the order today. I'll get the, get the test press in a month's time. Yeah. I'll probably give a couple of those away or do some sort of competition, but it, it means that I can share the process with the people that are now on the purchased mailing list just so they know where we're at. Yeah. And then, um, 
I can share more of the artwork with them. So it it can be uh, an interactive and somewhat exclusive thing with, without the complexity of there being an entire range of things that people are choosing. Yeah. And and that personally I like that. No, that's no, that's definitely it's the best way of going, I think, on that front. Um and I actually I'm gonna say thank you for this now because I I backed for um when it when you did the crowdfunding thing and I mm-hmm. moved to different countries. So and you sent it to that different country for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Because <laughs> it was initially I think it was still in England when I did it. And obviously by the time it was ready and done and all that kind of stuff, I had moved. So but I got it out of there, and I've, I've still got the uh, actually I've got the artwork thing in a in a frame. Um, oh, cool! It was hung in my sort of like US studio, if you will, that I had where I had my sort of like podcasting set up. And uh, at the moment, it is in a box full of other frames of things. But we're actually putting stuff up in the house scene, so um, got to get those hooks up. So, but it'll go yeah. up in there. But no, that was that was really cool. And also, like going back to the artwork for um, Arc Tangent, the vinyl. You you working <coughs> with uh, Matt Grundy? yeah that's right those. um and uh did he do the original art was that no the the original artwork was done by a guy called ian who's whose stage name nickname was bob but he was one of the guitar players in snub oh okay yep yep uh, really great graphic designer um came up with those uh the panel for each song which is going to be included in the the upgrade or the reboot of the artwork nice um but we just we were really wrestling with the front cover, and what actually happened was we had an idea that um, we felt represented the the album. You know, it's quite a literal representation of Arc Tangent. Yeah. And um, when when Bob saw it, saw it, he was like, "Oh, that's cool. It seems quite iconic to me, but it is quite um, quite." Um, simple and stark and we we were just like well we'll go with that but then our distribution company felt really strongly that it wasn't representing the album and that they they had really high hopes for um shipping in mainland europe where you know france and germany and spain and italy where there's a language barrier um the album covers need to pop and sometimes be quite literal and represent what the album was. Yeah. And they just felt it was too abstract. So the the original front cover is is a bit of an amalgamation of a couple of the of the internal graphics for each song with the with the Leonardo da Vinci um, proportions of man sort of over the top. Yeah. But, um, and it, and it had to be pulled together quite quickly. And, you know, it, it served the purpose. It was good. It was the best that could be done, given the circumstances. But we were never fully happy with it, just because it's uh, the background is really black. So it doesn't – it feels very two-dimensional. I mean, obviously, it is two-dimensional, but it, it doesn't feel like it has depth to it. Yeah. And so this was just, um, you know, an opportunity to – with more time, more resources, technology has changed. Matt is a very um, creative thinker and yes. um, very good realizer of ideas. And so it was just, it was a cool opportunity for me to work with someone who's who's been um, an artwork and a musical collaborator for the best part of two decades, but has never been a part of Earth Tone 9. Yeah. And, that, and now he's kind of like a part of that Earth Tone collective because, because he's done this really killer artwork for this release 
yeah no definitely it's um i've obviously i've seen the pictures you guys post up online and um i actually like i i matt had actually designed a front cover for one of uh zero cyphers albums as well okay um our last album in fact um but yeah, back when he was sort of like sort of trying to get a foothold in that sort of side of things, like coming out of mm-hmm. Pitch Shifter and all that kind of stuff. And obviously with you guys in the blueprint and whatnot. Um, and yeah, no, he's, uh, he's absolutely like, I mean, the work he did for us was amazing. Um, like I, it's, it's out of, out of the sort of like three albums that we've got. Uh, it's definitely my favorite artwork on that front. Um, Great. and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's nothing kind of like, uh, like, well it's basically based well what i wanted it was based on the album was called juggernaut but i wanted it sort of based on you ever remember the movie jewel yes it was spielberg movie the guy gets chased by a truck Mm -hmm. um but i kind of wanted that on the front uh as the sort of artwork and stuff and uh, he did an absolutely magnificent job with that and gave it kind of a little metal tinge with a a skull coming out the sort of great front and stuff so i was like that's that's amazing and and like he he didn't charge us very much at all either which was like ridiculous compared to like maybe what he should have been paid (laughs) but it like he said he was just trying to get like artwork out there and and all that kind of stuff so like you sure is that you know i'm not going to say exactly how much but it just wasn't very much compared to what you would normally pay a graphic right. designer so well, he's a he's an in-demand man now oh good a- i'm glad <laughs> that exposure pays off again no i'm not gonna go there <laughs> <laughs> but um when when do you um plan to have um obviously the album kind of like have you got a tentative kind of like uh release date for it or is it is it sort of like you say you're getting the test pressings back um in a month's time um i did pre-order it myself as well so um, oh, nice. as, Thank you so as much, soon dude. as i saw the thing pop up i was like i didn't even ask the wife i just went straight in <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're crazy i know madness but she would she totally understood she was like yeah that's fine um <laughs> so i did okay with it afterwards um but yeah no like obviously with it as well we'll we'll talk about like you've included the omega ep in it Mm -hmm. um is that is that like on the end of it if you will like after binary um, it's uh, the first three sides are art tangent and then the fourth side is um is omega cool so what um what i'd never paid a huge amount of attention to is just how short albums are that are on vinyl Yes. So when we were, when we were working out the track split, it became apparent that the album is uh, somewhat slightly too long to go on on um, two sides of a yeah. of an album, and so we shifted it over to um, to double. And we were just like, oh, should we have it play at forty five RMP so it's really high quality? Um, but double vinyl was expensive to produce, yeah. which meant that the the retail price was more and so we just we wanted it to feel like it was good value yeah yeah and um you know the the omega ep is you know it was widely available upon release but it hasn't been kept widely available so um some of our fan base were just talking about the possibility of extra tracks when the dialogue was happening yeah um and and omega seemed to be the one that most people were most excited about having on there um and for me, it just it struck a chord because Matt did the artwork for Omega yeah. on CD. So the idea of uh, it was just another connection. Yeah. No, I mean, Omega, like, talking about, uh, on that front, um, I got to start 
so like amnesia the the track first track off there um it's actually it's like uh it's mine and my wife's song if you will oh beautiful so uh yeah you've kind of hit that that area as well just to sort of give you a (laughs) heads up on that one um but yeah that's one of that's like uh it's like our song if you will nice um it was everything bar our first dance so um which went to david bowie so i'm sorry about that Uh, i mean i don't (laughs) mind losing out to david bowie that seems fair enough (laughs) but yeah no it was it was like yeah it's it's a great song and i'm looking forward to hearing those on vinyl as well so um did you have you um obviously when when uh preparing for a vinyl release did you think of remixing or have you had to remix the album slightly to to work on vinyl not remixed no i mean just because this um because this album's been in the can for so long yeah and and it was recorded just as pro tools was becoming the uh, the primary means of recording music like moving over from that um but it just it seemed to us pretty unlikely that we'd be able to find the unmixed um things you know the idea that andy yeah. sneeps just got like a drive with 20 year old music that he did <laughs> in two or three studios ago just seemed too remote so um the initial plan was just to to um press from from the cd but then through through having conversations with the the pressing plant and some some friends that have put vinyl out um you know there are there are some frequencies that get picked up and vinyl responds to very differently so we had a guy called Dave Draper, who's worked with the Wild Hearts um, and a few other artists, um, just he he's a specialist in in this sort of work where you just um, dial down a few of the frequencies to make it um, more more. Um, I don't know if appropriate is the right word, but to, to mean that it, it's the best possible sound tailored for vinyl. Yeah. So it's. I, We've been using the word remastered, but okay. I'm, I'm not sure if it's fully remastered. But certainly, there have been some adjustments to the frequencies to make sure that it's not needle jumpingly loud, yep. or that the cymbals sound brutal, or that the bass shakes the needle off the off the grooves. Yeah. Okay. Now that's cool. I mean, yeah, because I know there's a different process. Because, like I said, I'm looking into doing something vinyl-wise, but um, it. it yeah i know there's a sort of like if you had the masters then you can mix it for it but yeah i was aware you can sort of like tailor the the frequencies that you do get additionally on vinyl or at least from a cd to a vinyl you can um yeah you can kind of adapt it and give it like and they i think they do call i think the official term is remastered i think that is the official term for it but i'm sure it's something else but um yeah no I mean, so was that was that a difficult process for them obviously being sort of something that's i know they sort of like generally like release stuff first time on vinyl you know you get bands that have never released on it like yourselves and they are they obviously managed to convert it was it a particularly strenuous like effort for it or is it something that was quite easily um done no, I mean the the process was pretty simple. As as long as you've got um, forty four one files, so like WAV or WAV file, yeah, quality, then then um, a, a remastering engineer can can work from those. If they've already been mastered, there are limits to what they can change. Yeah, but but um, it is 
it's significant enough that it will mean that it's kind of optimised for vinyl. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, I mean, I'm going to look forward to it. Like I said, it's, I, I ordered it, I think I think it was within two minutes of you putting up the post. So, yeah, great. <laughs> on that front. <laughs> well, the, Go on. I was just going to say one, one thing you did ask was when when we're planning to have it out and yes, yes. The, the reason that we've done this kind of this um this far out is uh, in an absolutely ideal world i would mail it to everybody on the 26th of september which is the 20th anniversary of the day of release of arc tangent yeah um but um there there are some variables with with production and so they're they're basically saying it can take between seven and ten weeks dependent on how quickly they turn around the um the test press and and how busy the factories are, and then okay. also the other variable is is whether we see an escalation in in COVID. Yes. So r- right now we we did it this early, so we've got we've given it every possible chance of being able to do what we want to do, which is get it to everyone at the very end of September. But I think on the pre order we had said the the second of October, which is the the first Friday in October. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my my gold standard would be to get it to everyone on the day that Arc Tangent came out two amazing. decades earlier. I was going to say that'd be amazing if you can, because obviously, like I say, there are. I would love it, dude. I yeah. would love it. <laughs> so, I mean, with that, I mean, you've, I know you've increased the the. Um, you were originally going to do two hundred and fifty. Yeah, and I saw that you've increased that to three hundred now because of the demand. Um, mm-hmm. Has that is that? Do you know if that's going to like is there more demand on top of that or is that just a very recent like, i mean thing? it's hard it's hard to say it, it, when we sort of got an initial read on this it was just a on it was a facebook thread hey guys how many of you would buy it yeah if it was out on record and and about i feel like about 280 people gave it a thumbs up or said me yeah but um you know what it's like with with, with Facebook stuff, you can sometimes people say yes, but their circumstances will change. Yep. Sometimes it's a soft yes. So we were just we were being um, pessimistic realists about okay. how how many um, how many yeses would actually convert into into a an order, um, and and we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we were pleasantly wrong. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but I mean it's. It's not going to be one of those things where we endlessly tag on more and more. This this seems like about the right amount for it to be manageable for us doing things as a cottage industry. Yeah. Um, also, um, the, the the way the way we've present we've presented it in a particular way, and then for it to just turn into this never ending oh we'll just keep repressing it. That's not in the spirit of how we announced it. Um, so yeah, we're we're going to do these three hundred. Um, I'm sure it'll be enough, and it'll be fantastic to to sell all 300 of them, given um, how many of our fans like vinyl. Yeah, you know, I think there's just like a loud minority that that are always calling for vinyl. Yes, yes, we are. Um, which is which is absolutely <laughs> fine. Um, but um, yeah, this this seems like the right thing to do, and we're going to go through the process. And you know the. I'm I'm excited about doing the other two records, but um, it feels premature to do to start talking about those before we've delivered this this um, 
this release yeah no definitely i mean i, I if you do the other twos i'll, I'll get them as well so <laughs> you got definitely got one sale on those um but cool. yeah no I'm, i mean I'm, I'm really looking forward to it i really want to hear what it sounds like translated to vinyl because um i mean obviously you sort of like um you obviously know that sort of side of things and there is a different a different feel to it um when you do have something on there there's a different kind of um it's not the ground noise i know that's the sort of big thing that people go on but it's just sort of there are a lot more frequencies you can pick up and a lot more things you that go unheard for years until someone digs that vinyl out and then like especially with like the sort of like when you go back to sort of like some of the big classic bands like pink floyd and all that kind of stuff to sort of Mm -hmm. name the big ones you can go around you can like obviously they release stuff in quadraphonic and stuff so there's always something you're going to miss if you don't have a quad if you don't have the four speaker 20 speaker setup or whatever they've got um but yeah no I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing it and um yeah and hopefully seeing you guys if you are planning any kind of like additional live shows obviously i know arc tangent was your one this year that unfortunately has been um are you still planning to do that next year do you think yeah i mean we, we said we said yes to it yeah. um it, i mean the organizers and and our management have just said we're looking to move the entire bill to to next calendar year and so we're we're down to do that for sure give it a 21st birthday celebration yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's legal to do almost anything at that point so (laughs) um, which is even more like every time i think about these album like ages and stuff it's it's crazy so um but I'm going to let you go in a moment, if that's all right. Um, yeah. You've been absolutely fantastic having a chat for me this long. It's um, been a pleasure to talk to you, dude. No, it's been it's been great to catch up and stuff as well, like beforehand. And, and, and hopefully, you know, I'll see a lot more of you as and when the situation allows. So, because um, I intend to go out to more shows and stuff. I want to go see, like, I'm going to go see Pitch Shifter again next year. So Cool. <laughs> so we'll see on that one. I'm going to travel up to Nottingham again, actually, because... Um, Oh, nice. Um, I really enjoyed going to Rock City for the last one. And um, I just, like, I don't know. I, as much as I kind of, well, I don't like London. So I <laughs> I don't want to go to London. Um, and I found that it costs just as much to go to Nottingham from here. So, right, you know, if I, if I drive up and get, a, a like, a, a hotel room, like a cheap hotel room, if I get it enough in advance, like going to london still 30 something quid then food and whatever yeah right inflated prices um but last time i went back and we're like when we went to the one um a couple of years ago that you guys were playing in and met up with like stevie b and um liam uh power um and like yeah. all the people from back then who were on the like the, the message boards yes. and stuff um but obviously we've kept in touch over years like liam's quite you know he's quite an accomplished drummer you know he's out playing with servers and all that kind of stuff and obviously stevie b stevie b he's uh you know doing his thing doing his thing he's always been there you know <laughs> so he even came over to florida to see me actually oh no way yeah yeah i got a picture of him and me uh and his good lady um at the house we were we owned over there um but he was over there went to orlando um for a holiday and uh yeah he came all the way over to tampa and uh yeah that's so cool it's just that's one of the things i like most about this whole like revisiting um thing is just when i when i hear that people have got lifelong friendships out of out of a shared enjoyment of of a band that i did once yeah and and that the, there's so much um people associate 
the music that we made with with really formative things in their lives. You know, it's like a a bookmark and a soundtrack. It's um, that's really cool. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And from someone that's got that, it definitely, definitely is. Um, but what I'm going to do, we're going to end with my sort of like my standard ending to my podcast, if you will. Um, so I don't know if you've ever listened to anything I've done before, but what I do, I ask, I've got these generic questions that always finish it off. But um, the first one is what I want to find out are your your three top albums, all right, that, that really influenced the musician that you've become. So the one that made you want to pick up a microphone and sing, the one, you know, it, the one mm-hmm. that sort of like just influenced you in that way to sort of shape you into the sort of musician that you are today. Just one, gosh. Well, th- uh, well, three. If you got three, okay. <laughs> so three albums for for each. So I mean, I would say probably, you know, like the the earliest thing where where I was just like I really like heavy music was Saxon, strong arm metal. Nice. Um, the the record that really made me think about what it could mean to be. Um, a musician and a performer was End of Silence by Rollins Band. Nice. Um, and then... I mean, something that... Uh, an album also of that era where I was, it just had such incredible energy and rage and groove to it was the first Clutch album as well. Mm. All, those, all those things sort of hit in the latter part of my teens, apart from the Saxon record, which came out when I was about 12 or something. <laughs> um, but th- those are like, I would say there's, there's probably albums that perhaps are more meaningful or have, I have more of a connection to now, but those are like real strong. I remember what I felt about music when I listened to them and making me think that I want to be in a band. Nice. Nice, yeah. Saxon, I mean, like, I I actually got to speak to one of the original members on this podcast, actually, uh, quite a while ago, um, when they were doing all the reissues. Uh Uh-huh. And that was a big moment for me, because I'm like, I used to love this band. Like, it was was just sort of, it was, I'm not going to call it silly metal, but it was just sort of that kind of traditional British metal. It had a certain, like, rhythmic kind of, like, weird, like, tribalism to it, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much of its time, but, you know, I, I'm i a real sucker for R&B boogie kind of rock and roll. Yeah. And so I really like mid-period status quo. I really like ACDC. And Saxon had that on their first couple of records. Yes. And, um, denim and leather. Yeah. Just th- that sort of era is killer. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They move things around a bit, and now they've become a little bit more of a power metal band, which is, you know, it's fine. It's it's still their version of metal, but it's yeah, it's that stuff that they did in seventy nine, eighty, and eighty one that I absolutely adore and still do. Yeah, no, I... and the band's played on is one of the greatest songs of all time. Definitely, definitely. I'd um, it was uh, Graham Oliver I had on the show. He was one of okay. the original guitar founding member, I think, a guitarist. Yeah, he was. Um, mm-hmm. And they re-released. It was the Denim and Leather album, um, Crusader, and 
Power and the Glory. It had like vinyl yep. re-releases, like splatter vinyl and whatnot. Um, but it was really cool just to speak to. I know he's not in the band anymore, and there's obviously I think there's some bits between them. But um, you know, it was just really cool to like actually speak. That's what I love doing this podcast because I get to speak to people that have like had some kind of influence on me over the years yeah. within music and new bands as well, ones that I've just sort of gotten into and, and really enjoying their music. Um, and it's kind of opened my, like, especially to new music, it's really opened my eyes, which is really cool because it's like a lot of the time I can stick to the same thing as a lot of people do. Um, oh, yeah. but <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but, you know, having, like, obviously going back and listening to the people that I'm speaking to and, and sort of finding out what makes them tick and then listening to new bands and sort of seeing where they're coming from like at the moment there's a lot of bands that i'm interviewing and their influences are like lincoln park and things like that which right for me like i i was sort of obviously you know of that age when they came out and it was like the rule of cool was not to like them um, yeah <laughs> and things like that so it's that kind of like oh wow so these were the, these these guys were like the 13 14 year olds when i was that age and they were being yeah. heavily if that was the gateway drug to them liking hate breed <laughs> and all that kind of stuff yes so it really does work you know that far on um but no just going back and like i've had like guys from yes i've had uh oh god who else I'd like i've even had tiffany on the show oh, wow. from the 80s and mid-jaw yeah it's crazy and um like moody blues and all that kind of stuff so it's really weird yeah. like mixture of music but it's absolutely fantastic like listening to these people like just have their stories you know yeah. they've all got their stories and stuff and it's just great um but yeah we got totally off track there um <laughs> rollins band love rollins band um yep and clutch clutch i've seen that band a few times live as well and absolutely amazing just got this like real kind of raw energy about them still yeah and i mean they they morphed so much between their first and their second album mm. i mean their the the rootsy bluesy jammy thing that they do now is it's just not where they were when yeah. in the early nineties when it was it it sounded like rock and roll helmet almost yes. you know it was very yeah. very um there was a lot of repetition in there it was i guess it was characterized primarily by simplicity um, but it didn't feel bluesy and it was just uh, the sound of his voice is just like otherworldly you know what i mean it was yeah. so gnarly and so aggressive yeah and and now he's he's mellowed that but his voice is still like really thick and resonant and just has a depth to it that you don't really not many other singers have that no no totally yeah no they they, they like yeah it's kind of got that like initial like raw kind of like you say like kind of like had a raw kind of punk rock element to it but not Yeah, I know what you mean. I just can't put it into words. <laughs> but no, but that's why there's music. You exactly. Know? You don't need to put it into words because the music it will is there. Exactly, it will tell me. So anyone, go listen to Clutch um, <laughs> and Earth Tone Nine. Go get some streams on that. Um, but yeah, no. Finally, uh, last question: um, What are your hobbies away from music? So when you haven't been teaching and writing and performing and and releasing vinyl at the moment um what do you kind of do to kind of unwind what are your sort of like hobbies or pastimes um martial arts olympic weightlifting yoga meditation gardening growing things nice i'm a i'm a permaculture designer um 
and then reading. Cool. Anything in particular at the things. moment? What are you, are you only reading anything in particular at the moment? That's or you, ju- oh, yeah. you just sort of like make your way through a lot of different. Um, make my way through quite a few different things. So um, I've just finished reading all of, through all of my Hellboy comics. Cool. Um, currently reading a book called The Overstory by Richard Powers, which is amazing. I've got The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts on the go. Nice. And I'm also reading a book called The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. So some some kind of personal development stuff, yeah. some um, some fiction, yeah, and then some graphic novel kind of stuff. Nice. It's a good mixture. It's always good to to mix it up like that. I've been reading. I've, well, I've only had two books on the go recently. I've just finished one of them, so I've only got one left now. Mine um, <laughs> was uh, the new uh, Max Brooks novel, um, De- *The Evolution*. Um, okay. He was the guy who did World War Z and the Zombie Survival Guide. Oh yeah. Uh, he's also Mel Brooks's son, weirdly. Oh wow. Um, but yeah, he writes. He's written a couple of survival books. Obviously, World War Z, uh, one of them. He did a Minecraft one for the kids, which was really uh-huh. good actually. Um, and he just did this one. It's kind of a Bigfoot story, um, and it, it, it's sort of done in the style of like a documentary, if you will. So people like reading the notes of people there or video recordings of people in this situation and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that was really cool. And I've got a, a Richard Morgan novel as well. He's a sci-fi writer. Um, he did actually he did all to carbon was his sort of okay. biggest thing. Yep. Um, that's now been a, turned into a TV show. Um, but yeah, I'm reading one of his books at the moment. Um, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it. I only had it in my hands a moment ago. Anyway, it's really good, and I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check out. I'll just put in Altered Carbon Writer, and yes. it'll come up with all the stuff. Yeah, he's got he's got a whole bunch of books out. But yeah, it's another sort of like sci-fi kind of Blade Runner-y type style dystopian okay. thing. So uh, it's really cool. Um, and yoga. I'm just getting into yoga um yeah it's the best dude i'm i've 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 basically because i've i've lost a lot of mobility which has really shocked me recently i think it might have been i don't i don't i can't blame lockdown for it because it was obviously something set in before it but um yeah i've lost a lot of flexibility and like mobility and stuff so i've started um yoga uh just sort of basic stuff online um but i've got i've got a yoga mat i've I've made a, a an actual like effort to do stuff like my kids got me like a voucher for amazon for father's day and i used that to buy the yoga mat so nice that was kind of like you know the <laughs> the effort i've put in I've, I've been doing sort of like sessions of about half an hour to 45 minutes like every other day at the moment um but i've managed to hurt my hips so i'm like kind of Uh-oh. waddling but i'm trying to do stuff that doesn't involve my hips so much at the moment so see if i can get my upper body to kind of um well, at least do some limited mobility stuff. So, yeah, but yeah, well, no, there's um, yoga with Adrian is a really great channel on YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of free content on there. She's um, she's a really great teacher and practitioner. So okay, that's that was my my jump in point. Okay, um, and I I do mostly home practice as well. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll look at that because I've been looking for a good outlet. I've been looking at um. There's one called DDP Yoga, uh, which is like an ex-professional wrestler set up his own like yoga um, practice and helps like obviously 
wrestlers that have crippled themselves over the years uh yeah. to kind of like walk and be mobile again and stuff and it's just because i listen to a lot of podcasts involving wrestlers um <laughs> that, that they tend to advertise on there but no i'm looking for freecon because that's a subscription service so um and i don't have that kind of like spare cash at the moment but anything that's free to kind of get me into it and then i'll go from there but yep. yeah if that I'll, I'll check that out on youtube so it's, is it yoga for with adrian yeah yep okay cool excellent i'm definitely going to check that out awesome carl thank you very much man you're very welcome um, it's great to talk to you again dude yeah it was really cool and like i said hopefully like once things get back to some kind of uh I'm not going to uh, use the word normal, but when it gets to some kind of like way where we can socialize and actually go out to things and stuff and uh, hopefully see you at some shows and, and whatnot. And, uh, Absolutely. You know, all that kind of good stuff. And um, have a good rest of your evening. Um, and like I said, hopefully I'll see Thank you around you, soon. Um, I may be down in Brighton at some point. Uh, my brother lives in Worthing, so, you know. Um, yeah, if you're down this way, I'll, uh, I'll uh, shoot me a message. Yeah, I'll let you know. Cool. All right, man. Have a good rest of your day and um, yeah, good luck with everything. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye.